Rock and roll. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Rebet. Welcome to Rebet Live. Um, joined from the, the bro, Rob Campbell. How are you, mate? Hey, Brett. Hey, Robbie. I'm good. I'm good. Let's let's talk about this. The beard's coming on strong. I know why. Tell the people why. You had two options. Go on. <laughs> well, I had these options. I trained with these renegades at BBM, and uh, I was offered the option of shaving my head or growing a beard, and I'm still happy I took the right choice. <laughs> Yeah, I was saying if I had if I had if I had options to grow it back, I'd I'd grow. I'd grow. It's not even yeah. half the reason we're here. I just it'd be cool if I could just grow here again. I could at least have a fringe or something. You've got, you've got options there. It's fucking sweet. Oh, well, yeah, and fortunately the grey streaks haven't grown out yet. Do you know? True story. My first grey hair I ever found was on my honeymoon with wifey like nine nine years eight years ago. Nine years ago. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to ask you where it was. <laughs> no. No, it was <laughs> stuff you wrote. It was right here on the side, and I saved it and took it. What a way to start the interview! All right, let's okay, let's give you. Are you in Ponsby? Where are you? Wifey home, safe. Uh, Ponsby, yep. Ponsby yep. at home, safe and well, yep. Good, good. Um, how I've talked to a few CEOs, every single person that I've talked to that's had that's been a part of some type of board discussion, it's been very clear that boards have gone absolute batshit crazy in terms of communication and back and forth with the big decisions that need to be happening to the business. How gnarly is your email inbox and your text messages and your phone calls over the last m month? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I get a pretty, uh, pretty steady flow anyway uh, in that way. So I don't know that that's changed a heck of a lot, really. We've spent a lot more time uh, between me and chief executives in the various businesses I'm engaged with uh, talking about uh, immediate issues than you normally would. Uh, and we've had a hell of a lot more board calls, uh, you know, Zoom and Skype and whichever other brand you're advertising today or a bit. Uh, <laughs> we've been on them, you know, and, and that's actually been quite, quite good. I mean... Interestingly, um, if you go back a few years, we would not have been nearly as well prepared for this as businesses now are. Most businesses do have crisis plans which swing into action uh, and have communication structures that are pretty effective. So I'm pretty impressed by the way the management teams I work with have dealt with it. The, the You've seen money circulate, you've understood commerce, politics, government, all that sort of stuff. Have you seen ever a moment similar to this where across end-to-end, north-to-south, and globally at this level outside of a recession or depression, that it's been a straight pause, if not stop? And when you saw it coming and you knew that it was going to happen, what was the first things that popped into your mind? I've certainly never seen a stop like this. Uh across so many of the economies in the world uh, at one time. So that is that is certainly unique to my to my memory, at least. And I'm pretty sure it, it will be uh, unique as a global event. Uh, uh, you know, whether this um, is is any deeper or more far reaching than uh, some other events, I think it's uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit early to tell. There's a famous story that usually gets attributed to the ex-Chinese Prime Minister, Zhou Enlai, who was asked, he was a Marxist, obviously, and he was asked, 
what he thought the influence of the French Revolution on world history had been. And he, his answer was, it's too early to tell. Uh, and uh, if he was right about the French Revolution, I think we've got to be careful not to jump to judgments in the middle of this crisis about what it will do. Uh, I've been in some discussions in the last few days where people say everything's going to be new, nothing's going to be the same. Um, well, maybe. Uh, I actually think that uh, you can sometimes overestimate how radical those changes are going to be. The old, the old distribution of power hasn't changed yet, and it will try to reassert itself, in my view. Uh, whether it succeeds is another thing, but uh, you know, how big this change is, too early to tell, in my opinion. Well, I think the fundamental organisational structures of being able to, I guess, forced into the cloud, forced into remote work, forced into digital communications for every touch point of a business, that's a seismic shift in operations, but fundamentally there's still CEOs and boards and, you know, chairs of the boards and whatever. So I think that that part hasn't changed is the talk points of people in your circles thinking that those structures would shift or is it more that you know more more tech or efficiencies can be can be brought in with innovation to the businesses what's the what's the vibe on that front i think there's a danger that um tech spend uh, along with other investment spend may even reduce contrary to what a lot of the commentary is uh, capital is going to be very uh, constrained for a period of time for most businesses and we've traditionally reached for the tech budget as one of the things that we can most easily uh, manipulate. Uh, I'm not sure that that will necessarily have changed all that much. Um, I think other things about the way we work will have changed unfortunately for for many workers, uh, companies will not uh, rush to head back to their previous employment levels. They will take pretty careful steps about that. And I think that even apart from the short-term shock, that job availability is going to be probably quite a bit lower than uh, it has been in New Zealand, at least for quite a considerable period of time. Um, you know, the, the old unequal power structures are still there, and I really don't think they will change. The way they work might change, but mm. I'm not sure our society is going to change as much as maybe people hope. You know, everyone thinks, oh, this is great, the air's clean, and the water's cleaner, and, and that is true. Um, how committed are we going to be to that? Well, let's see where, you know, the infrastructure money is spent. Will it be spent on roads and motorways and bridges and things like that? Or, or will it be spent on uh, underpinning the shift to clean energy? Uh, mm. That'll be a, a crucial crucial issue for New Zealand. Uh, as I say, I think the opportunities for, that will be that, the, the, sorry, the danger will be that we will have this uh, desire to return to some kind of normalcy. I hate the word, but some kind of normality, some kind of reassurance, some kind of conservatism that people's taste for risk, taste for expenditure, taste for spending disposable income, taste for investment uh, will all have been reduced a bit. And so we could be in for quite a slow economic time and potentially even a reversionary social time. 
So on that, the employment thing's interesting, right? So I think last week, I think the numbers came out on, I think it was Tuesday, it was like 3.3 million unemployment. This last week, it hit 6 million on track for pretty, pretty gnarly records. The jump back for New Zealand, in terms of different industries that have been affected overnight, obviously hospitality, tourism, where do you think unemployment will will sit in a month's time way way worse than this or do you think if we get back in the next four weeks it'll be a slow slow start build back obviously coming back into it where do you think this is going to how this will play out well unfortunately i think it has to get worse uh because there will be a high degree of uncertainty around and demand will still be reasonably low and for tourism businesses it will be so nearly nil it doesn't matter. And at the moment, many people do not appear as unemployed because they're on the government wage subsidy in one form or another. That won't run forever, I'm assuming. Maybe it will, but I don't think it will. Uh, when that comes... Well, I don't think so, but maybe it will. Uh, so I would expect uh, unemployment uh, numbers to go up as we come out of the lockdown rather, rather than down. When... Oh shit! Because you're on the, you're chair of THL as well, right? How's the, what's the vibe in the tourism world with how they'll pivot to the new, this new potential world? What's the, what's the energy in the tourism sector of, of how they think they'll, rebound, readdress, redesign, reimagine, reframe, relook, replan everything around around tourism for New Zealand? What's the, what's the thinking? Hyperlocal. Well, I'm, yeah. Look, it's it's a body blow for uh, tourism, which is you know substantively uh, international tourism uh, and uh, many businesses in the in the sector have had their current income reduced to zero and uh, you know even their future income reduced substantially if the water controls remain on as seems seems highly likely so uh, you know there are many businesses in tourism uh, who will go out of business uh, without without question um uh the, particularly with winter coming on it's uh, a pretty hard time to to try and get any kind of turnaround and many people will make the decision that they uh, they simply can't continue uh, i think other businesses uh, will be cutting down to what they think is a sustainable level in the new environment uh, which is uh, you know substantially smaller than uh, we ever were, you know, possibly by half or smaller than they previous were, just because the numbers won't be there, mm. uh, uh, and uh, hope to live another day if if tourism grows again. Which, if it does uh, grow back to the previous levels, it will only get there quite slowly, I think. So there is quite a lot of talk going on in in tourism circles about. Uh, what the future of the New Zealand tourist industry looks like. It's even got a name, Tourism 2.0. There you uh, go. I knew that someone would brand it. Someone would brand it. It, was, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't me, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a way to think about it. And, and it makes sense and good that, good that people are doing that. Um, but again, uh, you know, we all want to reframe the tourism industry uh, to to suit our own our own businesses uh, to the extent that we can, uh, but there will need to be some more cooperation. There will need to be uh, some consolidation within the within the industry.
I was just about to get to that. In different other verticals right now, there has been a lot of talk in the circles and the back circles around um, roll-ups. Just buying distressed assets, pulling it in, taking you know, client databases, pulling their infrastructure on top of it to create efficiencies, yada, yada, yada. Do you think the same will happen within tour tourism at a big scale where a couple of big players, either like yourselves or a bunch of these other crew, will be like, you know, we need this, or right, these things these things drop off. We've got the cash flow to be able to get through these, this next little bit, even if we just run at a loss to keep local rolling until international pops back up. Do you think there'll be big acquisition plays in different verticals? And if so, what verticals? Uh, well, look, talking specifically about the kind of tourism sector, I don't think anyone's got the kind of cash flows that will enable them to be big initiators of, of roll-ups. It is, it is possible that uh, fund managers or, or private equity or other people will try and buy uh, assets when they're relatively uh, cheap and, and do something about them. I'm aware of some, some interest around uh, the market. Uh, of that kind but you know you've still got to run these things it's one thing to buy them on paper yeah uh, it's another to deal with what the market is actually like and what the pretty specialist skills are actually like that you need to run those things so uh, look it's more attractive on paper than it is in practice I think most people in the industry have had a bit of a look around and thought you yeah. know uh, am I am I predator or prey and, exactly uh, if so if so, how does it look? Uh, well, it looks pretty complicated and difficult is the short answer. So, uh, yeah, again, I, I don't think there'll be any, I don't expect any particularly radical moves in that in that direction, but we we, we are going to see a lot of people folding up their tent and going. Yeah. Um, I was talking to someone a while ago and then really recently around the media space for this exact thing. Obviously, you know, Bauer went under, I think NZME was saying today, 15%. Uh, off uh, staffing redundancies and uh, gave the description of they were like oh, yeah it's it's like um five different vultures all circling trying to figure out who the prey is <laughs> just going around in circles and i was like i get it because they don't know who's stuffed of what's going to happen next but yeah I, I know within the media landscape there's obviously chats like that um in the in the food and beverage hospitality sector there's um the, there's banter around that real estate is another one where i know there's people yeah. and conversations around that sort of side of things um we've got Oh, it's a couple of questions. Here we go. We'll jump into it. Uh, Joy Miller says, Kia ora, what about the impact of likely reduction in travel and incoming tourists? Well, imagine with the border controls of a zero, the answer is going to be zero, right? Uh, well, it will get to zero. Yeah, I mean, it's effectively zero at, at, at the moment and uh, it's likely to remain that way from an international point of view at some time. Yeah. There is some discussion at a government level as to whether there might be an earlier opening of the Australasian uh, market of yeah, both Australia and New Zealand get on touch and a lot of New Zealand international tourism uh, comes out of Australia and a, a smaller amount of Australian tourism comes out of New Zealand so look there are it's possible to be a bit more optimistic about the uh, the Australasian market uh, but I, I think it will be quite some time before we see anything like the free flow of tourism that we had before so Businesses like uh, like Tourism Holdings, which, uh, you know, the camper van part of the business had a substantial overseas component, very substantial overseas component that is gone. We're going to be a much smaller business. Waitomo Caves, which is one of our businesses that we manage with the local hapu, uh, you know, a large part of that business was, there was a very large Chinese tourist trade there, which is gone. Uh, so... 
Waitomo Cave's not going anywhere. Uh, New Zealanders will still visit them, but the business surrounding it will be a substantially smaller business. How does it, what are those, what are those chats like to be on a phone call when you're literally talking about losing millions and millions of dollars to almost zero? Like how does everyone approach that on a call? Is it kind of like, well, zero. <laughs> like how does that, how does that, like talk me through how those those chats go when either CEOs reporting to the board or every single of us understands if it's flipping nally you're talking about like hundreds of jobs if not thousands of jobs and millions of dollars like the weight of that so gnarly on something you can't even control like how do you even navigate that as a leader right it's stuffed yeah there's actually a uh, in my experience which goes back a fair while now uh, there's a strange metallic taste to the stress that you feel when those uh, kind of events uh, occur it, it just is there's an extreme chemical reaction going on uh, in your body when something as existential as the revenue you had is gone, what are you going to do? Uh, I think pretty quickly after that, some adrenaline hopefully kicks in. Uh, if you're up for the job, that's what happens and you get on with framing the decisions and making the decisions you, uh, you need to make. And then almost inevitably in those situations, there are there are job losses uh, that follow and you have to take uh, decisions that uh, you would much rather not be taking, uh, whether they're people that you know face to face and see every day or, or people that you've, you've never met in another part of the world. Uh, you realise that there are, those, those are not just numbers, they're real people with real whanau uh, and uh, that they will be enormously affected. And mm. I think uh, we would all feel uh, distressed uh, about that, even though the kind of the, 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 the rational part of your brain says this has to be done. Uh, and when you became a director, when you walked into the board the first time, you weren't thinking what happens if this thing goes tits no. up. Yeah. Uh, you were thinking much more positive thoughts about it. Yep. Uh, when you are having the thought in your head, wow, what happens if this goes tits up? Um, it is it is a big change in how you think about the business, but you signed up for that. You signed up to make decisions uh, which were in the best interests of the company, which were in the best interests of the various stakeholders to whom you have responsibility. So you make that decision, but you you walk home feeling sick about it. Uh, that's the fact. Yeah, it's, a, it's always that... Th the heavy lies the crown, you know, heavy lies the crown, that, that weight, that privilege, that responsibility, that weight. You know, I had a friend of mine, he's in the tourism space and, you know, big company's done well. He's, you know, he's got about 200 staff and he messaged me last night. He's down to, he's going down to 10 from mm. 200, right? And then I was like, damn, you think about that. And, you know, you think about this leadership of how they're all doing. And obviously you sit on the, a bunch of these boards and a bunch of different leaders that you've you've seen across this time in this last four weeks what's the single dopest thing you've seen a leader do what's the biggest single most impressive bit of leadership yeah you've seen in or outside of your business in the last four weeks something specific that you're like that is what a leader is you don't need to say or whatever but just like who it is or whatever but just like what what's a something that that made you proud to see them as a leader that um, 
Yeah, one of uh, one of the chief executives that uh, I work with um, had a, a an immediate response, um, which was that he um, needed to uh, go out of the room, and uh, I know that he went and uh, cried about what he was about to do, um, and uh, steadied himself. He told me afterwards and came back into the room and and did the uh, made the decisions and made the announcements that he he needed to make and and when we talked about it afterwards uh, that was just uh, he knew that he had to let off the stress and that he had to be a strong leader for uh, for the people who were not leaving uh, yeah. because straight after that he still had to have their confidence and to lead people through what was still going to be, even for the people that remained, a very difficult situation. And it just brought home that human element. But, you know, having said all that, if um, those of us that have these jobs, um, we do get paid better than the average worker in the company. um, And we do get other rewards, psychic rewards of various kinds from being in leadership positions. And uh, just sometimes you realize that there are some bad bits of it too, but you, you know, we, there's no reason why anyone else should feel sorry about that. I think it's just, uh, it's just useful for people to recognize that, uh, that these feelings do run through it. And, you know, if I cast myself back to the 1980s, which I can, and I think you might struggle <laughs> You might struggle. I still had diapers on and shit, but I was, I was still, I was still crazy then. But probably just didn't know. I probably know as much as I uh, now. But to be fair, but yeah, go on. <laughs> but but you know, in the nineteen late nineteen eighties uh, crash, uh, people were were human just like they are now. But I think that nowadays the leadership of the businesses I've been associated with have had a much uh, deeper way of thinking about things and a much more um, a degree of social resonance about what they were doing and recognizing the people aspects of what they were doing uh, than did exist some decades ago. So I think our business community has evolved positively in that respect. You think leaders have become more human? I think they've become a better sort of human than mm. perhaps they were in that sort of archetypical wall street kind of uh, era yeah i think a lot of that has gone along with the suspender suspender belts fortunately you know those (laughs) were you rolling some no no no, not the other no suspender belts is the wrong thing isn't it it's those the the, the hockey i know what you're talking about i know i know what you're talking about I, I know. Um, got, uh, says, uh, uh, such a boss, real talk, but weirdly comforting to see such mana and experience on display. As leaders, you make that decision to sign up and make the tough calls in the best interest of the shareholders and business in reference to that metallic taste. Yeah, fair call. Um, question, uh, can you please ask Rob what impact he sees on the retirement industry as he is the chair of Somerset? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you shit, you got you got that on as well. So how's the, you know what's happening with tourism? How's the, how's the retirement game? Because obviously that's a danger hygiene standards, safety, all the rest of it. What, what, what's the banter in that world? Uh, well, Frank, there's not a lot of banter, actually. The issues are, are different there. Um, so we're expanding staff rather than decreasing staff. The demand for aged care services just 
rolls on. So, uh, and we need more people there because the you know the standards of care have had to be lifted a reasonable amount as well as security on our villages and all, all those sorts of things. So the real issue there is how do we ensure that the people who are living in our facilities are safe and secure? And how do we ensure that our staff who are in the front line of caring for very frail people uh, in, the, in many instances, uh, that they're protected too? So. Uh, we had a, a board call today, just this afternoon, of the the Somerset board and uh, with management talking about uh, uh, our latest, uh, the latest news coming out, not from our villages or, or care centres at this stage, but uh, other people in the industry, just checking that our teams were all right, that our procedures were as strong as we thought they should be. Uh, checking on the latest clinical information. So all the emphasis there at the moment is on is on care. Um, and, uh, you know, so far uh, we're doing we're doing OK, but it is uh, a very vulnerable sector to this particular uh, virus. I was going to I was just thinking as well, because you also chair, are you still chair of precinct as well? I don't chair precinct. I'm on the board there. On though, the board. Yeah. So say within tourism, I mean, within uh, within real estate, what's the what's the main main thinking or, or or talk been about concerns or opportunities in the? It's more the commercial side, right? On the commercial side, what's the what's the feeling in, in that sector? I'm not sure I'm competent to talk about the uh, sector as a whole, but uh, the uh, the immediate concerns are obviously about uh, people being able to. Uh, or willing to uh, pay their leases and obviously a commercial property owner has costs too. So uh, making arrangements virtually lease by lease with people for how they will get access, when they'll get access, what the financial implications of that are is obviously very important. Our development projects are stopped uh, at the present time. So uh, that's another kind of... Uh, issue to be managed. Uh, uh, I think the what tends to happen when these shocks run through is that the uh, greatest uh, pain is felt uh, in the smaller commercial, smaller retail uh, businesses. Uh, so in, you know, in prime grade uh, commercial property uh, the banks, the lawyers, the accountants, the government departments are still going okay. I'm not saying they're having a good time, but they're all very busy and and active. So the tenancies at that level tend to be a, a lot more stable than someone on a suburban high street uh, owning a one or two story building where where things might be might be more difficult. So I think that it is in those secondary levels that you'll feel the, the first impact. There may be some valuation impact because you would expect discount rates to change a bit uh, as interest rates pop around and risk levels uh, perceived to increase. Um, but you know, that's the main impact there, but there will certainly be some, uh, you know, some secondary commercial uh, business, uh, property owning businesses potentially some retail 
uh, shopping uh, property interests and potentially uh, some residential property interests that will come under a fair bit of stress. I was going to ask, usually most people are stressed enough being the CEO of an organisation or being on the board of one. How do you manage your headspace shifting between different verticals like tourism, retirement homes, property, flipping all this other shit that you're doing? Like, how do you, how does your headspace wear those different hats to the needs of each of those different sectors? Like, how do you do it? Well, it may not look that it's succeeding, but it's what keeps me younger a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the beard's keeping, strong. The beard's solid. Keeps, keeps my mind. Uh, my mind pretty active and uh, i find that each of the things i'm involved in helps the other uh so that you know in some instances i'm a tenant in other cases i'm a uh, a landlord mm. uh, in some instances i'm a supplier in other instances i'm some different kind of role in the industry so i think the, the they all complement each other i haven't yet uh, gotten to the middle of the meeting and discovered i was in the wrong one i think if that happens it's probably <laughs> probably time i hand my card into the director's union yeah i can imagine you're flipping your your potential conflicts on each like board papers must just get just big up like oh yeah classic rob's on this one now um henry uh henry says uh, rob it's called braces cheers henry oh. <laughs> Th thanks <laughs> <Those Henry>. <laughs> <laughs> braces. Um, i thought you had braces on your teeth yeah no i get it as one day just a ball out i think i should go straight 50s and roll some braces um tom lacour says what about people roll-ups with big government projects rolling out to pump money into new zealand do you think that that the money will go to the big players if so will this end the little guy good good call good question yeah look uh there's no question that there's a tendency for these big bailouts in the united states and the GFC was a classic example of that, where the big end of town really ate the uh, bailouts, didn't it? And this, that's now been been well documented. And it, it's true that the the big end of town does tend to uh, have the lobbying power and the influence at governmental level to secure preferred access trust, to trust for for um, execution of services, right? All, all those things. So I mean, it it, it will happen, and uh, there will be. Uh, the majority of those benefits will flow through uh, the major players uh, in each industry. Uh, it's a matter of how much of, of that, uh, how much of that sticks. And uh, I've never been a great advocate of the trickle down theory. It's another version of that, isn't it? That if you give money at the top, it will trickle down to people at the bottom. It's always seemed to me that that was a theory that a appealed a lot more to the person who was doing the trickling to the, than to the person yeah. who was being trickled upon. But but it is kind of it is kind of how it works. Um, and yeah, look, realistically, uh, the big end of town will take a big chunk of, of what is available in terms of this support uh, payment. So on, on that, one of the things that has been um, talked about in a few different verticals or industries that I've been talking to is this idea of um, opportunities for small businesses to collectively roll up together instead of getting the, the big crews. If you were in the, the smaller end of town and looking, say, if you're either one of these big government projects or just survival or whatever it may be, um, as a strategy, how does it, that stack up? And then if you were to try and go ahead with it, what you should potentially look out for if you're looking at a maybe a, a, a SME roll up to try and have a bit more power and horsepower to try and either fight through or thrive on the other side? 
How would you approach it? Well, you know, in New Zealand, it's not a hopeless case, despite what I just said about the big end of town grabbing grabbing the most. I think if you have uh, a viable project, either yours or you, one that you share with a group of uh, of people, uh, the energy is well worth uh, is is well spent uh, contacting through local MPs, going straight. New Zealand, we can still access government ministers uh, reasonably easily. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Not They're all the easy, grand mates. You, slide into you, the DMs. That's what you do. You can, yeah, you can uh, contact these people, and and they are looking uh, for answers at the moment. Uh, local mayors and councillors, uh, the same. And I think there is a desire at that level to help small and medium businesses to uh, to achieve these things. So I would say, don't despair. Although the tendency will be for the big end of town to grab the lion's share, I think that. Uh, you know, reasonable proposals that are being developed by small businesses and medium businesses do have a show of getting access. Uh, I'm aware of, uh, you know, other people who have quite small businesses who have uh, have successfully got into uh, some of these streams of support that are around at the moment and are doing okay. So, uh, you know, give it a whirl. Yep. Give it a whirl. Um, question come in um, are you seeing companies going on the offense or defense in these uncertain times is it sector specific for me defense is waiting and seeing how it all plays out versus is getting ahead innovating or trying something new in uncertain times offense versus defense what are you seeing what are you what are your thoughts i think while we're in this stage of the lockdown it's just a fact that everyone's mainly in defensive mode or or perhaps uh, uh plotting uh and planning to uh, move into a more positive mode. Defence, and once we start to open up, defence won't help you. Uh, it's not going to go back to where it was. So simply just uh, hoping that the business will come back is absolutely a philosophy of despair. Uh, so I'd really urge anybody who is uh, who is in that situation to use this time when you can't do much about it. Uh, and it might not and hopefully doesn't last for too much longer to really be positive about the first steps that you make because how you are perceived in the market, how you're perceived by your staff, how you're perceived by your customers and your competitors is going to be shaped up pretty quick from the point of view point of time that you can can open again. So hit the ground running and, and do be prepared to make changes uh, except that the market won't be the same as it was and uh, yeah, uh, certainly be positive. You're not going to defend your way out of this. It's uh, yep. just not possible. Yep. Hashtag offense, he says. Um, do you think this is this this moment in time has exposed bad leadership? I think our leadership generally, both politically and uh, at a community level mm -hmm. and at a business level, has been pretty good, Rebet, is, I was is, mean for is business, my view. Business, well, some, some of, oh. like, bad, sorry, context. S some leaders, now that they've gone virtual with how they've operated, because they haven't been able to hide through anything, have had to, it's mm. so transparent and, and you can see everything through it and everyone's talking, these tribes are sort of cladding out of it. Um, so it feels like there's some leaders which are creating glue within organisations and some which are exposing themselves to, to bad leadership and stuff. I was more within the business context, but yeah, go for it. Oh, right. Yeah, so certainly in the business context, again, I'd still say I think it's been overall pretty good, but it mm. does expose, uh, I think it has exposed uh, business leaders who are comfortable and sincere in their communication 
from those who are not. Uh, I think if you're one of those business leaders who feels the need to let, read off a script written by someone else in communicating with your stakeholders, uh, then you're in real trouble. Uh, yeah. But uh, so that fortunately, I think you know most of our business leaders, you know, have done a uh, done a really good job so far. Have you have you think the government's done in terms of if you were grading the government, what would you give it for maybe not for employ, employees employees and employers? Have you have you think we've done? Look, I think in the short term. Uh, everyone is making it up as they go along yeah. and uh, the New Zealand government administration and politicians uh, have done, you know, remarkably well. So uh, the real test will be in terms of how they manage coming out of uh, this lockdown, how they manage what I think will be quite a long term fight uh, about uh, this virus, I don't think it goes away all that uh, all that quickly, um, and how they how they manage to restore social confidence. Uh, we'll hear a lot of talk about business confidence because we publish all these surveys about it, and you know, I'm never sure I've got a great deal of confidence in those confidence surveys, but. Uh, PR, mate. It's all, to, it's all to, the sprinkles, I, mate. The sprinkles. Yeah, <laughs> I I do think that the government uh, needs to focus a lot on social confidence going mm. forward. I think the business confidence will will come or not come for that. But uh, the real thing is, does the the average New Zealander and well, no, put let me put a bit. Does the diverse New Zealander, does the Pacific Islander? Uh, living in Manukau, uh feel that this is a good place to live and that they have good opportunities mm. ahead of them for them and their children still. Does the Māori family in Northland feel that the situation has become more hopeless or do they feel, no, actually, there's some things happening here that I can lock into and, and do well? Similarly, the, you know, the farmer in, in Southland, do, do they feel... Oh well, you know, gee, this is all hard. But do they feel reasonably confident about what they can do and where they can go? You know, you can run through all those diverse types of New Zealanders, and I think uh, the government has—I'm sure it is—do that in its head and say, "How do I assist those people to feel confident?" Because mm. that's the way business will get confident. You know, you you, you can make you can, you can win those business confidence. I mean, I could get business confidence right back up by just announcing a company tax cut and company tax in half and the business confidence would go right up. But what would that tell you? Nothing, really. Um, I might get sacked for that. But <laughs> uh, I don't think that's the answer. But what is important is social confidence and business will react and respond to that too. So let's, let's go there for a second. How those diverse Kiwis who you talk about, they don't sit in, usually in positions of power or influence or have the ear of those that do. How do you think government or corporates or councils or whatever it may be of those in, in power can help restore social confidence to that type of diverse New Zealand? What do they do? Well, 
you're getting well out of my area of expertise here <laughs> if I have one. So, but... Sorry, Ron. <laughs> I'm sure you've had tougher <laughs> conversations this week than talking shit with um, me. <laughs> but I think the first thing uh, that they've got to do is listen and listen to the people in those communities, not necessarily their organised leadership. You know, it's, it's not that hard to uh, get a feel for what, New Zealand's a small place, it's not that hard to get a feel for what people in those communities are thinking if you really have open ears and an open mind about it. So uh, learn about their fears and their worries and their concerns, which will be some of them very practical and some uh, quite quite philosophical. Uh, don't, don't assume they're, they're all simply practical, some will be some will be intellectual as well uh, but there'll be immediate practical concerns and you've got to find a way to deal effectively uh, for those i think the second thing is that um, you've got to uh, you've got to have those people believe that what you are doing is uh, part of some longer term path that leads somewhere uh that that it's not simply at the moment everyone's pretty i think probably pretty supportive because it's all happening there's a real big problem you're dealing with it radical measures take place you kind of there's good support for that new zealanders are reacting pretty well to all of that uh but that won't last and uh pretty quickly i think you've got to be able to articulate listen to the people and then articulate a path that will get them to where they would like to be. And I don't think that for most New Zealanders is necessarily uh, all that ambitious. Uh, I don't think, for example, you remember we used to care about whether we caught up with Australian living standards or not? Mm. Might be before your time, but it used Probably. to be a big thing. We've, we even had a committee appointed by the government to work out how to do it. You know, well, no one's really worrying about those sort of things. Uh, these days, uh, I think it's down to some quite basic things about the level of social support that people have and the level of, of respect and recognition that their community is getting. Yeah. Um, so I, I think these politicians, you know, are capable of doing that. Don't see why not. Well, if you if if you're right in the the thinking that you know leadership is has changed with you know I guess not being better humans or whatever, but seeing more outside of just one lane it's pretty clear that that leadership of those at the top and government level are, are thinking a little bit differently about those type of things. And I think it's important, right? When the... Yeah, I, th I think it is. I mean, look, um, yes, the biggest thing that we've been able to criticise our leader of the opposition at the moment uh, in the last week or two is, is getting in a car and driving from Tauranga to Wellington to attend a meeting. You know, well relative to what politicians are doing around the world yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's not that bad. it's not i'm not saying whether he's right or wrong but it's not that bad you know most new zealanders can relate to it can relate to that and you know our prime minister is talking about when she left you know she leaves in the morning her mum makes her a cup of tea um to go and deal with these things so you know we're a pretty simple society we mm. and we that's the thing that we need to uh, kind of uh, focus on, you know, we, we don't need to be in the model of these uh, overseas countries where 
extremities and inequalities are, are inbuilt. You know, I mean, even take the way this this virus has impacted, and, and I'm very, very happy that so far some of the poorer communities, for example, in South Auckland and Northland, to take those two examples, haven't yet had anything like the impact that they could have. But you look mm. at the the African-American statistics coming out of the United States, and it's yep. absolutely sickening. I mean, imagine if we had... The 100,000, it's, it's the worst in the world right now. It's just horrible, isn't it? And you just think, wow, imagine if we had that in our country, in our society, um, and, you know, heaven forbid that you ever do, but mm. let's let's build on some of that positive stuff that we have here. Question uh, on the back of will COVID nineteen scare off the next wave of entrepreneurs? How can we help people starting businesses in a post COVID world? I mean, a lot of people are going to be in a fear based economy, going to be scared to shit to do anything, not going to have security, right? What's what's your take on that? I think I think it's a legitimate fear. I think that there will be uh, the economist in me calls it risk adversity, but fear is just as good a word. Um, it will be around. People won't be willing to take risks for fear that just around the corner is another is another close down. Um, mm. uh, unfortunately, I think we just have to accept that we will uh, have less people uh, taking risks. But uh, you know, it is a legitimate role for business to support suppliers who are doing innovative things. Uh, there will be opportunities for people to do things which may not be world-breaking, but are very good uh, alternatives to supply in New Zealand, things that may previously have come from offshore. I'm not saying trade is going to stop because it's not, but no. but there will be opportunities for domestic activity that maybe weren't as attractive before because we were all trying to count, conquer a world market. Maybe the entrepreneurialism might shift a little bit, Rebet. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, Ali says, "Do you think that it's time to reevaluate our economic political policies? Do you think that it's a suitable time to think about radical change in terms of how a country should operate going forward?" And he says, "Following that, an example could be the introduction of universal basal income or a major tax reformation." Oh, deep questions! You bring back your union days, mate. What do you what do you think there? <laughs> Look, um, you would think so, wouldn't you? At one level. Um, that it's a time to reach out for, for more radical proposals. And my own political views probably do tend that way. Uh, what I think will happen, though, is there will be a degree of that risk adversity, a desire for a return to normalcy, uh, perhaps a lesser taste for radical proposals uh than there than there might there might otherwise have been so uh it's quite interesting even i'm not that, i'm not confident we will see uh any major or no. radical leaps in things but the by force they've been every business has been you know radicalized and transformed digitally but then by choice afterwards i don't know if there'll be that same because of these that base of fear i don't know if the speed will be the same for actual the, the next then what's i'm not sure yeah you imagine that there's a lot of people who were answering surveys in 2019 saying things weren't going too well who in 2020 would be pretty happy to go back to 2019 <laughs> so well, go to the pub for a beer they'll be like Shit, well, yeah. <laughs> well that's sort of the reality of it so i mean i i think it was tahir was it uh, there just uh 
uh, on the line asking yeah, the Ali, question. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, uh, Ali, yeah, um, that, uh, you know, there's a good case for that, but I wonder if it's not an intellectual case rather than a gut case. Hmm. Uh, Henri's back. He said, what's your view on the share market? Watch. Invest a little or something else in respect to investment strategy. What I think uh, everything globally is down right now, except for probably Microsoft Teams stock, yeah. <laughs> Slack stock. I'm no, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm no expert on the on, on the share market, and frankly, the share prices of the businesses I'm involved in being trashed so badly, I'm scared to look at it on there. <laughs> just don't say crypto. Whatever you do, just don't say crypto. <laughs> um, I know you're a busy man. You got flipping heaps on. I really appreciate your time, brother. When we come out the end of this thing. What's your hope for this new New Zealand after Corona, or what could be the, potentially the new New Zealand? What do you What do you see when you look when you look out of not only where you've come from, but what you've seen, you know, political power shift and people shift and the opportunities of what New Zealand can do? What's your What's your gaze? You wake up and you're hyped on that you get hopeful for this country. Uh, I hope that we can uh, come out of this on a basis that doesn't exacerbate uh, inequality uh, and starts a process whereby we reduce the inequalities that have been evident in our society in recent decades. So that's uh, one thing I hope. I think these are integrated. Uh, with that, I do hope that we don't backslide on sustainability, but in fact continue to take uh, steps forward uh, in that respect, in, in very simple terms, don't regard cheap oil as an opportunity, but regard it as simply, oh yeah, we still want to go over here, sorry. Mm. Uh, that's very important uh, to me and I think to our society and and, and future generations. Um, and I hope also that we're able to uh, continue the trend towards uh, diversity and inclusion that we've I think been doing better at than many societies around the world and uh, hopefully just this little stop and have a breather does have the effect of making people realise our common humanity is pretty important uh, and uh, that we should just respect one another a little bit more. They're quite simple things but I I think if we achieve that and, and we have a, a comfortable sustainable standard of living in New Zealand, uh, we're going to be a long way ahead of the rest of the world. I fear mm. much more for the rest of the world than I fear for here. So two last very important questions. How long do you think the bed will be before you can go and enter a public space again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knows? Look, it could come off at any at any moment, but I'm getting more used to it. What's it are you still doing are you doing the virtual boot camps with Dave? How are you doing your, your fitness stuff now? What are you do, what are you doing? Uh, look, I, I'm lucky enough to have a have a very small gym here, so I'm I'm actually keeping up the workout level. Nice. But you know, I I feel awkward and clumsy in any physical activity with other people. Okay. Combining that with being combining that and being on a screen is just beyond me. So um, I haven't really been a participant in online boot camps, but they're going remarkably yeah, well, especially. and they're keeping. They're keeping a lot of people happier and saner than they would otherwise be. Um, particularly um, the number of kids that are participating is fantastic. Um, really yeah, great to see. 
it's on fire. Eh? Um, and you still yeah. you still on the plant based shit? You still what's has has the diet rolling? You are you stuck at home with some good stuff, or has wifey got you on some some homemade KFC little little mashups? Ah <laughs> uh, no, nothing nothing like that. No, completely on the plant based diet yeah, and loving still. it a bit. Yeah, mm, <sighs> absolutely. Yeah. Bro, I know you. We'll, we'll, so we'll get you there. Yeah, we'll oh, we'll drag man. you drag you away from those stakes as big as Texas soon. America, mate. This is what happens. <laughs> so, I appreciate your time, brother. Much love, and um, tell the crew I said what up, and I'll talk to you soon, eh? My man. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Shot, brother. Talk to you soon. Later, bro. Thanks. The bro, Rob Campbell. Um, just flipping chair of everything, weapon, boss dogger, but just above all, solid human and, and good Kiwi, and it's um, rad to get his insights. Even just the things talking about, you know, different, different verticals of how they think about, you know, tourism and retirement homes and, you know, Flipping property, and also, oh shit, he's on, I think he's still chair of Sky City as well. Entertainment, all the sort of stuff. Uh, big day, lots of uh, good, good chats, good comments, good insights, good learnings, cool leadership, cool access and availability to other. Oh, Tim Alp says really enjoyed the interview. My man Timbo, uh, Alp's going to be in the mix. I think tomorrow, Tim, maybe or. I have to double check. It might be Thursday or Wednesday. Anyway, it's going to be um, on the show as well, talking about um, tourism, cool stuff, juice, and whatever. Um, this has been mega talking with. It's just cool catching. It's like catching up with mates, talking shit about what's up without getting into too much detail, but also the posit positivity around what potentially New Zealand could be. And there's always these recurring themes. I keep thinking around, you know, the the. The strength and bravery of leadership, which is required to make the tough decisions to, to go on from an employee-employer side around general communication to try and make the business better because everyone's in the same boat. From um, And then at the top as well with the weight of these heavy decisions and things that need to get made with how they do it. And the overwhelming consistency at the top around this is an opportunity for growth, this is an opportunity to to redesign, reimagine, rethink, and, and actually do some stuff. So it's good. If you've got um, a thought, I've got a flipping mega list of crew who's still going to be coming up on the show. This is becoming clearly becoming a thing which I'm enjoying a lot of. Um, if you've got other um, people that you think are, should be on the show, feel free to reach out. I've been dabbling around this idea of do we jump political and just go straight to try and get gnarly politicians in the mix? And I've asked a couple of them, still haven't had to reply. And I'm wondering if it's because there's clearly bigger fish to fry. So maybe I'm just going to push pause and wait till we come down from four. There's clearly um, more priorities. But I would love um, insights from po politicians to think about the speed of how they've operated in comparison to regular nine to five day to day stuff has clearly been different than what's happened in the last four weeks and what potentially is going to be rolling out to the future. Um, so always really good. Appreciate the time. I'm done and dusted. I think this is the most we've done today. We've done six back to back to back to back to back to back to back. The fam time before, after, after this, gonna go home and um, peace out. And I've just got a text message from uh, my number one saying, uh, "You're looking healthier." Why? Thanks. <laughs> it's because I've, I've I've been drinking more water in between the whiskeys. I've been trying to get a bit more sleep in, um, and I've been just getting my 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 new normal of balance and routine sort of dialed. Because obviously, with the time zones now, we've gone five hours ahead. So I'm in the states, I'm five hours ahead, um, and a few other little things which I've been which I'm been dealing with. Nothing illegal, but um, yeah. And I've just got another another message. Um, good chats, and okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the next one. All right, love your work team. I'll talk to you soon. Adios, deuces. <laughs>